Well, you remember we're in a we're in a series on great passages of the Bible, and we this is actually. Uh, if you look back at your screen here for a moment, this is down to bottom there, part three of this uh, in Acts chapter 12. And today we're going to look at Herod, pride, and the Lord. The first, uh, the, the first part of this chapter, we talked about Peter, prison, and the Lord. The second part, too, was the church, prayer, and the Lord. Now the last part of this chapter is about... Herod, pride, and the Lord. So let's, uh, let's read those uh, three verses, or five, those first five verses again to give us the setting. It's been a few weeks now we're through the Easter season, we're, and we're coming back to this. And so let's remind ourselves of this great passage here in chapter 12. Notice verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hand to vex certain of the church, And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw it please uh, the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him into four quadrants of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church of God uh, for him. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for the sweet service today and the beautiful singing and the, and the sweet and wonderful testimonies. Thank you uh, for uh, working in our lives and being so good to us and we could never praise you enough. Thank you that Margaret was able to be here today and, and to give that praise. And so we pray now you speak to us through your word in these next moments. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You read the New Testament, you come across the name Herod 40 times in the New Testament. And uh, so that's, that's a lot of occurrences of this word Herod. But it could be any one of four different people. Now there's actually five Herods that uh, influence the New Testament. There's a sixth one that was just mentioned, but the, uh, his title, Herod, was not uh, mentioned in the New Testament. So I'm going to show you these five that, that are mentioned, uh, the Herods. Uh, the first one is Herod the Great, and uh, he murdered the uh, children in Bethlehem. If you remember, during the Christmas story, the wise men come to Herod and look for, you know, the king born of the Jews, and he becomes uh, outraged by that, and when they don't uh, come back and report to him, then he... Uh, Uh, He has all of the children in Bethlehem from two years old, all the male children, he has them slaughtered, murdered. This was the kind of man Herod the Great was. Now, secular history calls him great because he did some great things. He was a man of great ambition. He was a man of great ego. And he did some great building projects. He remodeled the, uh, the second temple in Jerusalem to the point where it was called Herod's Temple. And uh, it's the, it's the uh, remains, what remains are there today is the remains of Herod's Temple. And uh, he built cities, great cities. He built um, Caesarea, uh, the ancient city of Caesarea, which was really the center of, uh, of the Roman 
society there in Palestine. And so he was a great builder, but he was not a good man. He might have been great, but he was not good. Josephus, first century uh, historian, writing about Herod, and uh, he was not necessarily, he was not a critic of Herod. The fact is he was friends with Herod's uh, personal uh, historian. But he writes of Herod, and, and this is a summary of, of his writings in the Antiquities of the Jews. And it says, Herod was guilty of, of many brutal acts, including killing his wife. By the way, he had ten wives. One was his niece, one was a cousin, and, uh, and one historian said about the wife he killed, she was the only one out of the bunch that he seemed to love, and he killed her. He goes on to say he killed his brother-in-law, he killed three of his own sons, biological sons. He killed 300 military leaders, and many, many others, end of quote. The uh, one first century or fourth century historian quotes Augustine, the emperor, talking about Herod regarding the fact that he killed three of his own biological sons. Augustine says, and I quote, it is better and safer to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son, end of quote. Herod was a murderer and a violent, violent man. So that's the first Herod in the Bible during the time of Christ. <clears throat> Gentlemen, looking at that screen, because 17 jumped down that I don't think all this is going to fit on one screen. If somebody back there can fix that, uh, something changed when it went from my screen to, to this screen. But the second one is uh, Herod uh, Archelaus. Herod Archelaus was the son of Herod the Great. And when Herod the Great died, you remember the Lord had moved Jesus, Joseph, and Mary down to Egypt to hide from Herod the Great. And so when Herod the Great died, uh, Archelaus took his place, and so they were still afraid to come back. And uh, God told Joseph in a dream to uh, skip past uh, Judea and go on up to Galilee, in which he did. And uh, Jesus, therefore, was raised in, uh, in Nazareth. There you go. Oh, thank you. That's wonderful. And uh, then the third is Herod uh, Antipas, and he's the one who beheaded John the Baptist. You remember the story? He didn't like it because he had married uh, his, uh, or had his brother's wife, Philip. And by the way, Philip was a part of the Herod family too, but in the New Testament, the word Herod's not used in connection to Philip, and he's only mentioned by name. And, uh, but at any rate, uh, he had, uh, you remember that the girl danced and wanted John's head on a platter, and so he beheads John 
the Baptist. He's also the one that Jesus stood before, and he wanted to see a miracle from Jesus, like a magic trick. You know, I talked about that last week. And, uh, and of course, Jesus didn't say anything to him or perform a miracle, of course. And he was disappointed and sent Jesus back. And then we have the fourth one is Herod Agrippa the first, and he's the character in our chapter that we're in right now, Acts chapter 12. Uh, he's the one who killed James and planned to kill Peter. If he could have, he would have killed all of the church leaders. He would have liked to have done away with the church because he was trying to uh, curry favor with the uh, Jews. And uh, so he would have killed more if, and if God hadn't prevailed and on Peter's behalf. And so that's the man in our story. And then there's one more, and that is Herod Agrippa II. And uh, he's the one before whom Paul appeared. And uh, Paul shared the gospel and even, uh, uh, even indicated that he wished King Agrippa would, uh, would believe. And you may remember Agrippa said something to this effect. I'm paraphrasing. You, you think you're going to convert me to be a Christian with, in this short a time? Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian? And, uh, and Paul said, not only almost, but I wish you would be fully persuaded to become a Christian. Everybody else that hears me uh, today. So that's the Agrippa, uh, Herod Agrippa II. So it's Herod Agrippa I that's here in our context. With that said, let's go back to our text. And we're going to pick it up in verse 18 in a moment. But let me remind you of the story. Uh, Peter was going to be executed the next day. God sent an angel. The angel woke up Peter and led him out of prison. And apparently the guards were, uh, had been placed to sleep by the Lord, and uh, the big iron gate opens on its own, and they go out into the street. Peter goes to the church where the church is meeting at Mary's home, and uh, there he explains to them what happened. The church had been praying, and the church rejoices, and then Peter uh, leaves uh, the city. Now, we pick, we pick up the story in verse 18. Go to verse 18. Now, as soon as it was day, this all happened in the middle of the night, this escape from prison. Now, as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers. No small stir means it was a really big stir. <laughs> in other words, there was a lot of excitement over this. There was a lot of uh, confusion. Can you imagine if uh, the prisoners, and, and there would be many guards uh, along that, pathway through those wards and so forth, uh, and none of them saw anything. And uh, can you imagine the confusion and the excitement and the, quote, stir that was made over this uh, by the soldiers? And, uh, and, they were, uh, uh, and they were astonished by it. Look at verse 19, and when Herod had sought for him, that is, he sent for him, and they couldn't find him. Now he's, he tells them to find him at any cost. And uh, uh, when he sought for him and found him not, he examined the keepers and commanded that they should be put to death. And so he kills the guards. Now under Roman law, Justinian law, 
the man who loses the prisoner is supposed to suffer the same fate as the prisoner, but that would not apply necessarily in, uh, uh, in Judea. Uh, so it wasn't an absolute obligation for Herod to do this, but uh, Herod is no doubt furious. And uh, by the way, this is Herod the Great. You know, the first Herod on the list I gave you, this is Herod the Great's grandson, biological grandson. His own father was killed by his grandfather. Wow, that's quite a family, isn't it? And so he, he's a murderer. He's murdered James, would have murdered Peter. Now he executes these uh, guards. Uh, scholars are divided on whether he executed just the four who was there, or whether he, some, some believe he executed all 16 of the guards, even the Twelve that were not uh, there. And so he commands them to be put to death, and he goes down from Judea to Caesarea. Now remember, Caesarea is this city that his grandfather built, and it's a, it's a pagan city, and it's a city right on the Mediterranean Sea, and it was quite a beautiful and plush and lavish place and so he goes down to Caesarea, and there he abode. The word abode has the idea in, in this text of, of getting away from something, to be relieved from something. In other words, he, he, wanted, he was embarrassed by this prisoner getting away, and the Jews are always fighting, and he wanted to go down to Caesarea where he could get away from all of that headache and and clear his mind, and be among the pagans, among the Romans. And uh, so he goes down, and there he abode. Now, uh, notice verse 20, And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon were uh, places north of Palestine. They really were not under Herod's jurisdiction. But uh, Herod's jurisdiction uh, gave them uh, economic aid. You know, they sent them uh, food to eat and, and wheat and grain and that kind of thing. And so there was some kind of political maneuvering going on here, and, and uh, Herod was mad at them. And so uh, it, it says then, as it continues, uh, but they came with one accord to him, and having made Blastus the king's chamberlain, the word chamberlain there could be translated personal aid. Uh, I think that's the way the New King James translates it. Another, transla uh, another translation translated it personal uh, uh, assistant. But this was a man who was close to Herod and was his uh, assistant aid, and uh, Blastus. And uh, they probably made him their friend. Is probably an indication they bribed him. They gave him money in order to uh, put in a good word for them to Herod. And so uh, Herod then uh, decides to invite them to this uh, great feast he's having. Well, notice it says uh, that they desired peace because their country was nourished by the king's country. And verse 21, upon a certain day. Now, Josephus, again, that Jewish historian, Josephus was not a Christian. And uh, he was born Jewish, 
And uh, he was actually a part of the Jewish revolt in his early life. Then he was uh, converted to be a Roman citizen, and he took the side of Rome for the rest of his life. But he's most remembered because he was a great historian and wrote about uh, things in the first century. And uh, so he wrote about this incident and, uh, in his historical writings, and he said this day here, the Scripture just said it was a day set, but uh, Josephus said it was August the 1st, which was Claudius, the Emperor Claudius' birthday. And so it was a celebration of the emperor's birthday. And uh, somehow in there he was going to make peace with Tyron and Sidon during this uh, great uh, feast and festive day. So it says, Upon a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, set upon his throne and made an oration unto them. So there was a special place in this big theater, amphitheater, Colosseum-like place, where his throne was. And he sat upon that throne, and then he stood to make a special speech. And he had on royal attire. I'm going to tell you more about that in just a moment. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a god and not a man. The, the verb tenses here indicate they just kept on shouting this over and over again. I don't know how long it went on, but they kept shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. He's a God and not a man. And, and they shouted it apparently over and over. I don't know that they believed that, but they were probably playing to his giant ego. And, uh, but they shouted it. And, uh, and verse 23 says, and immediately... The angel of the Lord smote him. I wonder if that's the same angel that, uh, that took uh, Peter out of prison. I've often wondered that. I'm going to ask the Lord that one day in heaven. Uh, and notice the word smote. The angel smote him. You, you remember the word used to, the, of, for the word of wake, when he woke up? Peter, he smote him. He smote Peter to wake him up. He smote uh, Herod to take his life. And so the angel smote him or struck him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. Or that is, he died. And he was eaten by worms. Wow. What a scene. Now, I'm going to show you the Colosseum in Caesarea. Look back at your screen there for a moment. And Karen and I, back in 2012, went to the Holy Land, and uh, we were in Caesarea, the ancient ruins of Caesarea. This is the Mediterranean Sea, pictures that we took, uh, and uh, th uh, this is a beautiful sunset. And again, the beauty of the sea there on the shores of Caesarea. Beautiful flowers. It's just... What a contrast this is with this, this uh, terrible story we've just read of God's judgment. So here is Caesarea's National Park and the Roman theater. This is the very Roman theater in which the Bible describes these events. This is where it took place. 
And, and uh, Josephus wrote about it as well in great detail. Now here, that's the Mediterranean in the background, but that large pool in the front is a, it was a swimming pool for the Herods. Uh, you probably cannot see it, but right here is a man fishing. That gives you an idea, right? Where's my light? There it is. Right there, there's a man fishing. You can kind of get the size of it. Then I zoomed up a little closer. You might be able to see him now. See the man up there in the, in the left-hand corner? You can see the size of that huge swimming pool and the Mediterranean right, uh, right beside it. Here we are going into the Colosseum. This is the outside of the Colosseum. There's the door going in. There's the inside of the Colosseum. Now, the, col the places where you sit and walk have been redone, but still in the same place and everything, and just redone in the same way. And uh, here's another, uh, here's a view from the Colosseum. And again, you can see the Mediterranean out there in the distance. Here's where the actors would stand and perform when there was a play or something going on. And here's the old ancient road that, uh, uh, that Paul, Caesarea, is mentioned 17 times in the New Testament. And the apostle Paul went there, and he passed through there many times. He was in prison there at one time, and Philip was there. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Philip was there, and Philip ended up living there. And his ministry, his gospel ministry was there in Caesarea. And uh, other of the uh, apostles traveled there. Maybe they walked on that very stone. There's the ancient road that the apostle Paul may have walked on right there. It's kind of amazing to think about that, isn't it? And there's the Colosseum from a distance. And uh, there in the middle, you see a place that's got some bars around it. Can you see that? Now, I pull it up closer. You can see it. There's the place where Herod's throne was. That's where Herod sat that day, right here in this spot. Of course, the metal rails have been put up to keep people from falling over in there. Uh, and so here is the place where Herod sat that day. Now, let me give you a little more detail about his royal apparel, as the scripture puts it. Josephus, again, wrote in detail about this event. Josephus writes, and I quote, Herod put on a garment made wholly of silver, and the texture truly wonderful, and came into the theater early in the morning, at which time the silver of his garment being illuminated by the fresh reflections of the sun rays upon it, shone out after a surprising manner. <laughs> so he had on garment made of, totally made of silver. Now, I don't think it would have been like a, uh, uh, you know, like a gladiator's or like a soldier's suit of armor. But I think it would have been more like... This way I pictured him, and I may have read this in the past. It was more like fish scales. You know how fish scales kind of lay over each other? And, and it, was, it was little pieces of silver stitched together. 
but it was all silver so that it could, you know, so that it could move and so forth. And it, and it reflected the sun's rays in a magnificent manner, according to those that recorded the scene. So he comes in and sits down, and then when the a proper time, he stands and begins to give his speech, and they all cry out, He is a God and not a man. His voice is the voice of a God and not a man. Josephus writes, and again, I'm quoting, Herod did neither rebuke them nor reject their impious flattery. (laughs) And Josephus records as well that he was struck down in the middle of his speech. After they had given this great round of of flattery, and uh, before he could continue his speech, he was struck down on the spot. He lived another five days, but those five days were in unbelievable agony. And they said he died from worms. Now, this is Josephus. Our scripture just said he was eaten by worms. He apparently had a tapeworm that had laid eggs and it burst while he was making his speech. And then the worms ate him from the inside out. Moody Bible Institute in their book, Science in the Bible, speaks about this particular word here that is in our text. It says, eaten of worms. That's all one word in the Greek. But the root word, the word for worms, is the the word skolex. It's the Greek word skolex. And it means a tapeworm. And... A tapeworm lays eggs in the intestines. And the plural is scolesis. And when this sac ruptures, it puts out millions of worms. And apparently it ruptured while he was speaking. And he lived another five days. Wow. Eating of worms. The word skolex, that root word, is used here. It's and only three other times in the New Testament. All three times are in one passage where Jesus is preaching. And he's talking about hell. And he said, he said, people will be cast into hell where the worm dieth not. That's the scolex. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. He repeats that three times in that one short passage. Herod may have thought when he died he would get relief from the worms that were eating him. His family may have thought the same. 
But it appears he went to a place where the worms die not. And the fire is never quenched. Wow. Only a few times in the Bible does the Lord bring judgment before the day of judgment. Dr. John Phillips said this about Herod. He had, Herod had gone too far. He had exhausted the patience of the Almighty. He had crossed the hidden boundary between God's mercy and God's wrath. There's a few other times we can think of in the Bible too. Sodom and Gomorrah, remember? Their sin was so terrible that God rained down fire and brimstone. The flood. The flood was because of man's wickedness on earth. In the New Testament, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, even though that was different because they were believers. So theirs was chastening as opposed to judgment. So sometimes this happens, and it did on this day. Now I've got to move quickly. One more verse, verse 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Notice the word but. Remember, the first time we found that word was over in chapter uh, 5. Peter was in jail. It looked hopeless, but prayer was made without ceasing. Now you've got Herod. Herod wanted to stamp out the church. He wanted to kill Peter. But instead of killing Peter, God, Peter's God killed him. He wanted to stamp out the church, but instead of stamping out the church, he died a miserable death and went into eternity lost, and the church continued on. The Word of God grew and multiplied. You know, there have been people all through the centuries that wanted to stamp out the church. They wanted to get rid of the church and... And uh, one such person was the French philosopher Voltaire. Voltaire was famous not only for his wit, but he was famous for his criticism of the church, his, his hatred, as it would seem, of the church. He wrote 2,000 letters, poems, books, booklets, pamphlets. He was one of the leaders of the Great Enlightenment, as it was called. And, uh, and his, his message that was to, quote, enlighten people was that Christianity was a scam. He himself claimed to be a deist. He believed in God, that there was a God of some sort or some form. And, uh, but he uh, criticized Christianity and other religions as well. But Christianity was his main criticism. He says here, and I'm quoting, Christianity is assuredly the most ridiculous and the most absurd and the most bloody religion that has ever infected this world. And then he calls the people who are the followers of Christ, he calls them rabble who are not worthy of being enlightened, he said. He said also regarding the Bible and the Lord Jesus that... Uh, uh, one historian said his hatred for Christianity increased oh, as he got older. 
and that he had furious assaults upon the Scripture. And now I'm quoting, even upon the person of the Lord Jesus, he depicted him as a degenerate. Much like Herod, I guess. Voltaire made a statement sitting in his home in Paris. He said, because of my writings and the writings of other people in this Enlightenment movement, within a hundred years, Christianity will be no more. He lived in the 1700s. Christianity will be no more, and no one will have a Bible except in a museum in a hundred years. One hundred years later, the French Bible Society bought his old home and was a center for distributing the Bible throughout Europe. In the room, in the room where he spoke those words, they used it for storage. And Bibles were stacked from the floor to the ceiling throughout the entire room. The skeptics come and go. The haters come and go. But the Word of God continues on. Yeah, amen. Amen. Now let's let that Word multiply in our hearts, in our homes, in our lives. Let's let it grow. Let's let that Word grow. Let's take it in and let it do its work in our heart and in our lives.